This morning, I've entitled this message, The Powerless Cross. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul is talking there and he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved is the power of God. Today, I believe we've made the cross of no effect. It's lost its power. Yes, we're more clever than ever. Yes, we can give lessons on this and that. We have formulas. We have better solutions, better programs, better delivery methods. We're eloquent, but it's powerless gospel today. How foolish that we would soften the message with words like being a Christian isn't difficult. It is! (laughs) You don't have to give up anything. You do! (laughs) You don't have to make any changes. You're already a good person. It will make you better husband or a wife. It will, be, it will make you happier. These are not the Spirit's word. In fact, these are the words that are very opposite of the message of the cross. Barry Kirchville, he says it like this, For the message to keep its power, we must be drenched with the blood of the cross. We do not gather in our assemblies for showtime. We gather to learn to die with our Savior. Our service must be drenched in the blood of Jesus Christ. Lest the cross be emptied of its power. In Isaiah chapter 58, and I'm going to spend the whole day there if you have your your Bibles with you. Isaiah chapter 58. Israel is wondering why they've lost the connection with the power of God. These people at face value appear to have the real thing. I want you to look and see how they're described. These are not casual Christians. These are people who are are desperate for God at at the outset. It says in in verses 1, we're going to go through 58, 1 through 12. So shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet or a shofar. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they are a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and He will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. It is... Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loosen the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke and set the oppressed free and break every yoke? 
Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see them naked, clothe them and do not turn away with your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will be, will be rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. And you will be called the repairer of the broken walls, restorer of the streets with the dwellings. It is here in this moment that... At the very beginning, at the very onset, it reminded me of a story in the New Testament. A church that I would say resembles this church here. In Revelations chapter 3 verse 1 and 2, it says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. It's in interesting here because he uses the word pleru, which is a word we know that has its foundation in plethora. And it says, but here it says, when he says, the Brahim Bible says at least like this, wake up and strengthen what remains, which is about to die, for I have found your deeds incomplete in the sight of my God. When he says unfinished there, it means that he wants us to be filled to capacity. He wants us to be full, not incomplete, to the extent that we meet the appropriateness of what God has for us. And what is it that's unfinished with this church? It's their deeds. It's ergon. It's their work. Their works that they, they, they hadn't accomplished. They hadn't completed that inner desire, that intention that God had purposed for them. It was this very thing that I find that we look in Isaiah chapter 58. I want you to find this morning that as I'm going to... Isaiah 58, I don't want you to think about this just like about fasting. It can be anything we do. It can be any religious activity. It can be busy doing all these things and miss God. They were busy fasting, a very admirable thing, but incompletely because they angered God with it. As I look at this passage today, I find myself in this picture. I say, God, I feel like maybe I'm one of these fasters and you've, you've distanced yourself from me because I haven't completely done everything the way you've said to do it. And see, I believe that this is the blind spot that the enemy uses for all of us. He uses those blind spots, those places that we don't see. You know, a blind spot when you're driving a car is that area where that last, that, that pillar post in the back blocks the person who is off to your right. And that's what happens in our life spiritually. The enemy tries to block those blind spots. He doesn't allow us to see everything correctly. And what happens in the midst of that is we think we're doing well, but we need to have that blind spot opened up. Think about the things that these people were doing. They were fasting. Some of us don't do that. They were depriving themselves. They were self-denial. They were seeking God out day after day. They asked God for just decisions. They seemed eager for God to come near. And then they humbled themselves. And then they say, why have we humbled ourselves? And you have not taken notice, God. What's the problem here? It's the same problem that the Pharisees had in Matthew 23.23. It says, Woe to you teachers and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give your tenth, but then you miss the very important things that are right next to you. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. 
See, it's the weightier matters that God's worried about. We major on the minors, and God's like, that's not what I want you to do. In Isaiah chapter 58, I believe there's... Many theologians believe that Isaiah is divided up into three Isaiahs. And what part of this is Isaiah 58 takes place during the rebuilding of the temple. Perhaps the temple had been, had been stalled here. Leadership within the community was being contested. Divisions and violent quarreling hindered them. And they were having this difficulty as they're trying to rebuild this temple. It reminds me kind of today of what we go through. Because I believe that the church... That God wants to rebuild something that's been broken. The church is broken. She's in need of repair. A remnant has gathered to rebuild her, sure up her walls. Instead, we find ourselves bickering, fighting, and there's fury amongst one another. And we question leadership. What's going on here? These people had the best of intentions. They were volunteers. We'll rebuild the temple. Their hearts were in the right place. I see myself in their fasting. I see myself in everything that's going on in Isaiah 58. We have a habit of doing good things, but they're incomplete. It is in this setting that God commands Isaiah. He says, Isaiah, in verse 1, shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a shofar. I was going to have a shofar this morning and blow it just to get your attention. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. See, in our day, we've lost prophets who will continually bring this kind of a word. We have prophets that will encourage us. We have prophets that will bring us a program. We have prophets that will tell us everything we need to hear that makes us feel good. But we don't have a prophet that will not hold back and tell us, raise your voice like a trumpet. Tell me not what I want to hear, but tell me what I need to hear. Tell me what's better for me. Tell me what's in my blind spot. See, because the problem is, we have difficulty swallowing it. We don't cry out against sin anymore. We're more wise, more educated, more liberated. We've devised a better way to speak to people. People warned Paul that this would empty the cross if we did this. We must be blood-soaked Christians of a cross, dying to ourselves weekly. This is the proclamation to the church. This is the proclamation to Israel, the chosen ones. A.W. Tozer says it like this. He says, but something else less is among us, nevertheless. And we do well to identify it so that we may repudiate it. That something is a poetic fiction, a product of a romantic imagination and molding a religious fancy. It is Jesus, gentle, dreamy, shy, sweet, almost effeminate, and marvelously adapted to whatever society he may find himself in. He is cooed over by women disappointed in love, patronized by pro tem celebrities, and recommended by psychiatrists as a model of a well-integrated personality. He is never acknowledged as Lord. These are the quasi-Christians following a quasi-Christ. They want His help, but not His interference. They will flatter Him, but never obey Him. Well, that's tough language. Today we say Jesus will make everything better. His yoke is easy after all, right? That's what He said to us. Jesus said these things over and over, but He said constantly over and over to us that it would cost us everything. Remember the story about the man who buried the treasure? He says he went and sold everything he had so he could go back and buy that piece of land. 
See, it was this idea that it would cost us everything. Today, it costs us very little. For in that day, they will seek me out. For day after day, they will seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a mere a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. See, this is a people that look like they're doing things right. But Brian C. Jones, a professor of religion, he says it like this, the prophet condemns those who assume that frequent worship and sequitious rituals will per- persuade God to help them. Such self-involved worship sours and curdles in the insincere gestures of a pious theater. This sort of self-interested worship amounts to hugging God and hoping for a cookie. Fasting was evidently something very common to them. But see, the prophet was saying, look, there are those who fast among you, not by choice, but because they don't have food. See, the fast that God chooses is ironically to provide food for the hungry, enable them to break that which has held them down. My fasting should bring relief to those who have not. See, as I was going through this chapter, I thought, God, this makes my fasting look very foolish. I choose to fast out of my plenty, while those around me fast out of necessity. How is it that I can neglect Him? He's asking for true fasting, devouring His Word, persistent prayer, diligently seeking, radical obedience. And when I don't do these things, he doesn't respond angrily. But why don't I fear him? Why don't I understand that the God who created this universe desires that relationship with me and that he wants it so bad that I would be able to put everything aside like he talks about? Why can't I do that? Why do I have difficulty? Why is it so hard? See, because these actions of mine are a charade. My Christian actions look just like a charade. They don't even look real when I really compare them to what the Word of God says. Real fasting, partnered with real repentance, isn't only, it's an image of something very powerful. Jesus said it like this, but this kind only goes out except by prayer and fasting. He was talking about the demons that the, the, the disciples couldn't cast out. It isn't that Isaiah or the Lord are down on fasting. They love fasting. They are down on any empty ritual that we put in front of it. They are down on anything that we put up as a charade that says, Look at me, I'm a Christian. The answer isn't to stop fasting, but to get right with God and make your fasting more than something superficial. They say this in verse 3. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit your workers. The Amplified Bible says that last part. It says, Hear, O Israel, on the day of your fast, when you should be grieving over for your sins, you find something you desire to do. This is where, as I was looking at this, I'm like, Lord, this is where my fast is. 
busy myself so I can forget about food. See, God's calling me not to do what I want to do on that day. He's saying, will you give up everything for me? Will you give up food? And along with food, will you give up your mindset that wants to do what you want to do? Will you fully focus yourself upon me? And grieve over your sins. So many times, we're like Israel. God, have you noticed me? Are you watching me, God? Look at us, God. (laughs) We fasted much. Evidently, they expected deliverance of the impending calamities. They were trying to secure divine favor. They were saying in this minute, though, God, we're disappointed you haven't heard us. God hadn't intervened as they expected. Barnes, Albert Barnes comments on this. He says, When fasting is the result of a humble and broken heart, it is acceptable. When it is instituted as a means of purchasing divine favor and is laying God under obligation, it can be followed by no happy result to the soul. This is the people's complaint. We've abstained from food. See, God, we deserve a reward for our devotion. It is what we see today with sexual harassment, a word we see here is quid pro quo. See, if we do this, God, you're under obligation to do this for me. And we operate like this. I know I do. At times, we've all been taught this way. You know, the Bible says if you do this, He's got to do this. What about just doing it because He's God Almighty? What about doing it because He deserves it? We've been taught this in Christian circles. That God has to respond. He has to bless me if I do this. If I'm obedient. If I can just conjure up enough faith. If I will just afflict myself enough. Instead of just purely pursuing God. See, He's the prize. When you have Him, you've already won. Everything else is secondary. He blesses me, great. But if not, and I suffer, I'm content. What a great place to live. I've got the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as my friend. What else do I need? That's the reality of this. But we don't see Him as the prize. Because we get caught up in what we're doing here. See, I see the fast as an opportunity for God to open up those blind spots. As I repent and I mourn over my sin, this is the occasion for the destruction of my bad character traits. And thus, I can see God working in me to remove them. Some of us won't get there. You know why? Because the enemy's distracting us right here in this place and we're feeling bad about our, all feeling sorry for ourselves and we'll never get to the place where God can work in us. And he said, listen, I want to use this fast. I want to use your devotion to me to remove and clear out that clutter, flush out all that stuff. Because why? And I've seen this happen. In fact, we've been talking about it this week. The closer people get to the Lord, the more difficult it gets. And we find ourselves this. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. 
God's given us the answer. I can't hear you. You're too busy arguing. See, most of us think of these things when we think of this question. In fact, when James talks about it, when he says, what, fight, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? We think he's talking about the world. We forget that he's talking about the church. Our fasting should be an occasion for us to show compassion and mercy from all that God has given us. Instead of injuring, quarreling with our brothers, looking at leadership and questioning that, giving ourselves in a place where we say, God, I'm yours. And you know what? The mercy you've given me, I want to give back. See, James here, he's not talking to the world, but he's talking to the brothers and sisters of the faith. You cannot expect to have a heart unchanged and at the same time come near to God simply because you make a delight in knowing Him or even in approaching Him. I want to say this again. See, there's times I believe that we feel like just the fact that I desire Him, it's enough. It's not. You can desire Him. You can talk about how much you want Him in your life. But if you allow these areas to blockade... And I'm going to show you that in Scripture here in just a minute. Blockade and cut you off. You'll never get into the right relationship. He's not going to be able to come near. He can't come near when this is going on. It's not good enough to have a good intention to approach Him. We must have more than good attentions. 1 Peter 3.7 talks about how husbands... But I want us all to look at this. Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This isn't just for men. I want you to know this. If you're in wrong relationship with your husband, your prayers are hindered also. And the word hindered here, it carries with it the idea of being cut off sharply to impede by cutting off what is desired or needed to block or hinder. So when we try to approach Him through all these things, these means that we've used, God says, if you have this going on with you, you're going to have a difficult time getting close to Me. Stay as many days as you want without food. A heart that is not changed will not matter. And really, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about a heart change. He's not just talking about the right words, the right songs, but an inner transformation. When we operate incorrectly, horizontally, it cuts off everything vertically, even though we may think we're okay. I'm going along fine. I can just keep doing more of this Christian stuff. I'll be okay. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, but without love, we're just a clanging symbol. It means nothing. We've all heard this story. If it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it must be a duck. However, with God's point of view, it all has to do with what's in the heart. And if you don't have the heart of a duck, you're not a duck. Use that as a Christian saying. You know, you can look like all this stuff on the outside, but if your heart isn't transformed. We're really not who we are in Him. 
In verse 5, he says, Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for the bowing of one's head like a reed or for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is this the kind of day, in fact, one version says it like this, a day man to afflict his soul? It's though there's something meritorious in us going, okay, I fasted. Look, I've done my duty, God. And I know I found myself there too. Look, I did my duty, God. I fasted. Pastor asked us to do that, so we did it. But it's really in this place where we fully have allowed Him to take complete control of us. This is the danger We'll inconvenience ourselves. We'll make it a little difficult for ourselves. And then we'll feel good about ourselves. He goes on to say in verse 6 and 7, Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loosen the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked, to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. He gives us the answer in this. He uses three different things he, there. He starts with the first one. Is it not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loosen the chains of injustice? Begin with getting things right with your brothers and sisters. Stop oppressing each other. Reach out and help one another. Do what is right in God's eyes, not in just our own eyes. See, what will happen is we begin to help and the enemy wants to change our attitude. We'll do something good, and you know what? Then all of a sudden, the enemy will swing through and go, See what happened? That wasn't worth it. Look what you did for this person. Look. Look what they're doing now. And our attitude will change. The enemy loves to use that method. Tie us up. Bind us all up. Because now all of a sudden, we're like, I don't want to help. Look what happened the last time I did it. Look what last time I did here. But see, it's, it's helping with a pure heart is number one. Not helping, then exchanging it for a, a bad attitude. I did it, but I'm not happy that I helped them. How many times I've heard that? I did it, but I'm not happy with the whole thing. The second part is this, is to untie the cords of the yoke and set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. I want you to get this picture this morning of a yoke. And what he's saying is, I want to break this. See, if this gets broken, the animals are free. Yeah, they may have something on their neck, but they've been freed. When that cross piece is broken, see, that's what he's talking about. It's this a, a, a place of oppression. When these bands are loosened and the animal is free, it is the same expression that he's using here for us, that we can break those bonds spiritually, emotionally with even each other. So the, the second part is, when I forgive, I forgive with a pure heart. I truly forgive. Like Debbie talked about in, in the message with the ladies. Forgiving someone who had violated and murdered her, her niece. I don't even know how you do that. I don't even know how you begin to go and witness to that guy. Only through the grace of God. And then the last part he says, he says about how we do this, about how we share what we have. We, we share with our food with the hungry, with the poor wanderer, and when they're naked, we clothe them. We don't turn away our own flesh and blood. It's loving with a pure heart. Ray Steadman says it like this, the ultimate test of faith has always been, does it lead you to serve, to help somebody in need? Do you feel motivated to act? If you do, your faith is real. Otherwise, as James says, it is dead faith.
The acid test is not what does my religion do for me, but what does it make me do for others? Many of us have gone through life with areas that have been left undone. Many of you guys, maybe you've wronged somebody. God's saying this morning, I want you to go make that right. But what about me, God? I got hurt in this too. He said, listen, as the Christian, we don't leave open sores. In fact, one of our men, was when we were praying this morning, I, w- I felt like that when he said that, I knew that the Lord was saying, this is your message this morning. See, we pour peroxide on our sores to get healed. But, that's, but the, the problem is, is a lot of times as Christians, we leave those open sores. The ladies were talking about that even last week, how maybe there's just been this little, there's this little odd feeling maybe. You know what, if you have those odd feelings, go to that person. If they've made you feel uncomfortable, you feel like they don't like you, go and say, hey, I just need to know, how do you feel about me? Do you like me? Do you love me? Ask them. You'll probably find out they have nothing wrong with you. It was just something else going on in their life. Release those things. Release that oppression. Release that debt. And really forgive. And it's only after we've done all these things that we can see the fulfillment of these final verses. I've seen these last verses spoken over people without any tie to the first part of this chapter. But I want to read them to you one more time. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. And your healing will click quickly appear. See, there's that, there's that healing that comes from that sword. Then your righteousness will go before you. You won't have to talk about it. It's going to be on, in front of you. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and He will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of a finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. That's your body. He wants to strengthen that. He wants to give you healing. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and you will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repairer. In fact, in some translations, it says the repairer of the breach. You've heard that before. The broken walls. The restorer of streets and with dwellings. See, God's saying, listen, if you'll do this, if you'll do this first part, I'm going to reward it, not because I have to, but because I want to. See, in Israel, water was a big deal. To have a well-watered garden was a huge deal. God's saying, you're going to see that well-watered garden where green plants just grow. It's like this lush place. God wants that for all of us spiritually. So this morning as I close, I'd like you to stand with me as, I, as we sing this song together and I'm going to close with this. I don't want to empty the cross of its power, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. This morning, the last part of that verse is what we hold on to. To those of us who are being saved, He's working that out in me. It's the power of God in us.